the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, it's the Rob Black Podcast. You can hear Rob live every weekday morning from 10 to noon on 910 AM and talk910.com. And now, Rob Black and your money. Call Rob, 1-800-345-5639. Here's Rob Black on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Welcome to the Friday edition. Live and in the studio. I don't get days off. What is today? June 25th. Don't have a contract. Don't get days off. Hmm. Something sounds odd there. With that said, let's see what we got as far as, uh, you know, a plan for today. Today, I got tons of good content. I got things like how to buy a car and issues on, you know, mistakes that we tend to make when renting cars. And a little later in the show, I'm going to be talking about the financial reform bill that got passed, what it means to you and what it means to Wall Street. Um, BP still in the news. Now, let me hit this for just a second before we go to our headlines. I think this is kind of interesting. When the BP situation first came out, we, we looked at the damages and we said, okay, looks like it's going to be under... 20 billion. Now it's looking like 60 billion. And then today it's looking like, well, it could be a little bit worse than that. So BP, the first analyst to go from 60 billion to a hundred billion dollars. Now the stock of BP hit a 14 year low. It would, it would have been holding that $30 level. And now it's back to 27. Now total share losses for the embattled Royal major. They stand at around one hundred billion dollars more than half its pre-spill market value an analyst said it needed to assure the market of its liquidity a heavy infusion of both credit yield and equity ultimately suggests the market's concerned about a near-term credit event at bp there's been debt that's gotten really expensive and well long story short more and more people are starting to think the company's not going to make it they're going to have to announce layoffs soon BP said 37,000 people are dedicated to the oil spill right now. 4,500 vessels and 100 aircraft. That's a lot of people for one company as far as dedicating assets to. I'll say that again. 37,000 people, 4,500 vessels and 100 aircraft. So BP doesn't look like they're ultimately going to make it according to what Wall Street is seeing today. Now let's do a little bit of headline news and take a look at the stock market. Tom Mitchell, CEO of Fabernet, what rang the opening bell today at the New York Stock Exchange. Fabernet is celebrating its IPO on the New York Stock Exchange. Tesla's got an IPO coming up right around the corner next week. And uh, I'm sure we'll see the CEO of Tesla, who, by the way, I have news about Tesla's IPO later in the show today. Uh, we'll probably see him ringing the bell as well. It's one of those silly little prestigious honors. Dow's down 12, the Nasdaq's up 6, the S&P 500 up 1. Today's big story is the financial reform bill. A lot of bills and legislation. 
was trying to get done before the November elections, just in case the Democrats lose control, just in case it becomes a situation where they can't even convince enough Republicans to work with them. So the first two years of Obama's administration will be marked clearly by a situation where he had Congress that was friendly to his initiatives, congressional initiatives that were friendly to the president. What will happen in November, we don't know. So they got the health care bill passed on the Democratic side of the fence. They got the financial reform bill passed on the Democratic side of the fence. The president and congressional Democrats today said it's just what's needed to rein in Wall Street. But what's in the financial overall bill? Conference committee is crafted. I'm going to have all the details for you today. What are the opponents saying? Here's Fox News Radio's Chris Barnes in Washington. One of the final deals made kept new regulation of derivatives trading in the bill, though banks would have to spin off only the riskiest such trading now. It also tightens regs on bank investments in hedge and private equity funds, and it creates a Financial Consumer Protection Bureau, though that won't regulate auto dealers as the president had wanted. Republicans, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and the American Bankers Association all say this creates more bureaucracy while failing to address many things that caused the financial crisis. In Washington, Chris Barnes. Fox News Radio. Okay, I'm going to give you all the details on it. It's kind of on the dry side when you look at what it means to Wall Street. It's kind of on the interesting side when you look at what it means to you. And I'll do that either in the first segment today or probably the second segment a little bit more likely. Elsewhere in headline news, U.S. economic growth in the first quarter has been revised downward. Fox News Radio's Brenda Butner reports. Investors find out the economy not growing as fast as originally thought. The government lowered its estimate for the nation's first quarter gross domestic product. It grew at a 2.7 percent pace rather than the 3 percent first estimated. What's to blame? Looks like a mistake in your consumption. A revision in how much consumers spent brought the number down. Brenda Butner, Fox News Radio. Ultimately, we don't care about that. And I know you're saying, Rob, why don't we care about GDP, gross domestic product being revised down? It's because it's past. It's no longer the future. It's no longer the present. That's numbers that happened 90 days ago. So we don't really care on Wall Street. History books will care. History books will say, you know, the economic growth coming out of the recession wasn't as strong as we thought it was. But on Wall Street, which works in a six-month forward angle, they don't care. Next up and finally in headline news today, Europe has seen a tumultuous week. This is one of the reasons why the stock market can't get too excited. The BP spill that I talked about a little earlier. Well, Europe's seen a a, a rough, rough week. Strikes in a number of countries and protests over economic reform packages. The global recession seems to be angering many of the Eurozone populations. Fox News Radio's Phil Itner has more from London. In Romania, angry protesters showed their discontent with the tough new economic plans by trying to bust through a barricade and storm the presidential palace. Only riot police were able to stop them. And after strikes earlier in the week in France and Greece, it's now the turn of the Italians to come to a halt after labor unions declared a general strike. For American student Kate, it's an education about how to get around in a Europe that can unpredictably come to a standstill. I didn't think our flight would be canceled, but it is. So we might have to train it to Paris. As Europeans continue to be asked to manage under tighter and more austere measures, it looks like this summer could easily be one of chaos and tempers boiling over. In London, Phil Itner, Fox News Radio. And again, that's one of the reasons why your 401k is stuck right now. That's one of the reasons why you're mal- there's a little bit of a malaise in the market. 
Some people would call it a summer of discontent. Some people call it typical summer action. But there's too many things going on globally that means less spending. Governments are going to have to spend less. They're going to, for the first time in my lifetime, for the first time in your lifetime, they're going to cut programs. When you cut programs, you cut jobs. When you cut jobs, you cut consumers. When you cut consumers, you cut economies. So it's a little bit of belt tightening. I don't think it's out of control yet, but it is a little bit of belt tightening. So let's talk a little bit more about that Wall Street reform bill. Capitol Hill moved one step closer to implementing the biggest sweeping changes in finance since the 1930s. The Senate and House conferees, they approved the final version of what's going to be called the Frank Dodd bill. The bill will be put to a vote at the Senate and House and expected to be put in place by the end of next week. So here's some of the biggest changes in it. Now, again, what Wall Street does sometimes is predicated on what Congress does, what the legislation is, what sort of laws they can act in, can act act in. Uh, When you see the government spend trillions of dollars on stimulus, does that help the consumer? Does it not? When you see the government endorse alternative energy, does it help that sector usually? So here's what's being changed in the world of finances. Derivatives. Firms will be forced to spin off riskier types of derivatives into separate affiliates that would not receive federal taxpayer assistance. The firms will be forced to spin their swap desks off to subsidiaries. There was some questions on whether or not Senator Lincoln's amendment on rolling the swap desk out would be included in the bill. So Ms. Lincoln was certainly a big winner in the debate. Now, banks did win some concessions, though, on the bill as they were able to continue trading in markets for interest rate, foreign exchange, gold, silver, and some forms of credit default derivatives. This small concession provides banks with a wedge to ultimately attempt to broaden the scope of what falls into hedging risk later in life. The Volcker Rule. This was important. This rule has been debated for months, but realistically, this was always going to be part of the bill in some way, shape, or form. As it turns out, the original language actually left in place did win some concessions, but it decided that banks would be allowed to invest in private equity and hedge funds, but would be limited to providing no more than 3% of the fund's capital. That's good news because it cuts down on risk, yet it gives them some profit. How about you and credit cards? Again, I'm going to explain what it means to you later in the show, probably second hour. But what it means to the financial institutions, the Durbin Amendment, regulating debit interchange fees, will not regulate network fees like Visa and MasterCard. So Visa and MasterCard, who got hit a couple weeks ago, I said, don't stress, don't worry, this isn't going to go into place. They They didn't get it put in place. So the amount debit issuers receive from merchant banks is what will be directed, uh, directly regulated or reduced. So what the banks, debit issuers, receive from merchant banks. So it's not the credit card companies. It's the banks that issue the credit cards, not Visa or MasterCard. This is going to ultimately result in an economic transfer from banks to merchants, making checking accounts relatively unprofitable. Credit interchange now seems safe from regulation. American Express, Capital One, Discover Financial, those stocks are doing well today. The bill does allow merchants to offer discounts based on the form of payment and to refuse credit card acceptance for purchases under $10. So that's kind of interesting. Next up, capital rules. It's a small blow to the industry, but banks will no longer be able to list troops uh, under Tier 1 capital levels. This will, of course, mean that banks will have to continue to build reserves in order to boost tier one levels. The FDIC, one of the biggest winners here, uh, they were given more authority and avoided further supervision when the suggestion that the Fed should be audited following decisions was dropped. Credit agencies dodged a bullet for the first time when the Franken Amendment was taken out. This amendment would have created a credit ratings agency oversight. So ultimately, not that much got done here. It was one of those, Congress wants to bite the financials. 
Well, the teeth didn't have a lot of, you know, fang to it. Had a lot of gum in it. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. Coming up, I've got your phone calls, and I'll talk about the housing market. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on 910 AM. More stimulating talk. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800 345 Five six three nine to get your calls on the air. Don't be shy with the calls. That's the one thing, the one negative that I have about this show is the one thing that I would change is I would want more calls. That's one of the reasons I've been lobbying openly to get a change in the time slot because too many people at work send me emails saying that they would call, but they're at work and they, they feel weird about you know calling from a cubicle and having their, their partners and their, their, their co-workers overhearing them talk about their financial issues. One of the cool things about my job, and it is a kind of a cool job, is that I can get people to talk about money. I don't know how. It, it's nice, though. Like, if, if your coworker were to say, hey, how much money did you make in your tax returns last year? What was your take-home? What was your tax rate? You'd be like, screw you. I ain't telling you. But when I ask, for some reason, you ultimately answer. Who knows? This could be my last show. I never know. I always think that I can get hit by a bus on any day. And uh, I always want to push ideas out there to you so that if it is my last day, I want you to feel very, very comfortable about some of the ideas you invest in. One theme that I can continue to tell you about that I will continue to believe in, as long as you hear people talk about AT&T phone coverage as bad, as long as you hear people talk about like, yeah, the Internet's not streaming quite what I want it to be, as long as you see people aren't talking 21st century face-to-face and video conferencing, there's always room to invest in networking equipment. Always. More and more people are going online, and as they go online, um, we want more networks. And we got crazy networks. Like, the local area network here in the office, it sucks. To be quite honest with you, Clear Channel's got some of the worst technology in-house because they don't have a huge budget like they used to. And, and like, the internet rate, the speeds here are awful. I heard... A show host yesterday complained that it took 30 minutes for his computer just to boot up because we're using old systems. We don't have the productivity. And that's why you want to invest in technology because technology increases productivity. Somebody who works an eight-hour day, one half of one hour was just destroyed. That's stunning. That's stunning. Just waiting for a computer to boot up. So we need more local area network technology, more wide area network technology, more Interstate technology, state to state, coast to coast, uh, country to country. We need more satellite. We need more voice. We need more data. We need more video. We need more wireless. For instance, um, I just saw the new HTC. It's the HTC. It's the X, the Droid X. This is a cool phone being offered by Verizon. You could now turn your phone into a wireless hotspot. That's pretty cool. So if you have, say, for instance, you're paying 60 bucks for high-speed internet into your home. You only got to pay 20 bucks now, and your phone suddenly becomes a wireless hotspot for you and your friends. Now, you only get two gigabytes of data of information, but that's a ton. And that number will likely increase. Why? Because I'm telling you, invest in networking equipment players. There, there's, we, we're building more storage. We're building more software. We're building more computing. We're building more networking. This is all pretty important stuff as far as demands for the switches and the routers that, that hook up storage. You know, uh, Google's making a big push to put everything online. And every time something goes online, we need a router or we need a switch. 
to basically put it online, which is also another word for the cloud computing. So not in my lifetime, maybe in my lifetime. I don't know how long I'm going to live. Like I said, I could die today. Today could be my last show. Um, all your records will be online somewhere else and it won't be on your house. We're moving that direction. So let's change topics. And so if I die today, think networking equipment. Always see that, always see that it's, it's evolving still. Next one I want to bring up ever so slightly is Philip Morris International. They see growth of 14 to 17% versus expectations of 10 to 13%. And what do you hear about the U.S. economy? I'm going to give you a second to think about it. What do you hear? Because I want to put in your head, you know, some words. But I want them to be your words. You probably came up with high unemployment, right? What else did you come up with? Probably came up with not a lot of job growth, high unemployment. The go-go 1990s are long behind us. They don't seem to be ever coming back anytime soon. What else? I'm going to keep giving you a, you know, a second to think about this. How about inflation? It's not really here. How about wage inflation? Have you seen a huge jump in your wages in the last couple of years? How about home and price appreciation? No, no, no. So when I tell you that Philip Morris International, ticker symbol PM, is seeing earnings growth that they expect 14 to 17%. Imagine Philip Morris is a, a, well, it's a corporation, right? And corporations technically are defined as people. So this person, this friend of yours, we'll call him, I used to remember there was a Disney cartoon called, um, well, it was a Disney cartoon. It was a Mickey Mouse one. You remember when Mickey Mouse had some of these horror cartoons, like in the 1950s, 1940s? It was a black and white. And inside this, this cartoon, it's the old Mickey. He looks more like a rat than he does a mouse. Inside it, he met a guy named um, Al C. Hollick. So it was kind of cute. It was Al Hollick. And he also met someone called Nick Oteen. So let's pretend Philip Morris is a living human being, okay? There's a guy in the corner named Phil. And you go, Rob, how much more money did you make this year than last year? Well, you know, media is not paying what it used to. Working in portfolios and, and consulting advisors not paying what it used to. Correction in the market last couple of years. Maybe I'm making 20% less from my all-time high. Philip Morris just said they're going to grow 14 to 17%. So Phil over in the corner is growing 14 to 17% in, in wages. I want his job. What is his job? His job is to sell cigarettes worldwide. Do you get it? That's what you have to look for. Would I invest in Philip Morris? You bet your britches I would. There's no doubt I would. It's got a 5% dividend yield, which right now we're not in an inflationary market So you can't really, and when we hit an inflationary market, bond funds are going to get murdered. So you don't want to be in a bond fund when we hit inflation. Probably 12 to 18 months. Now, we've been saying probably 6 to 12 months for the last couple of years, but it hasn't come. And then you get this, like, hiccup in the Gulf, and you get this hiccup in in Europe. So the inflation's just not problematic. So you could still be pretty good in high-quality corporate funds, but also I want you to look at a high-quality corporate stock. Philip Morris International, ticker symbol uh, PM. And again, if I die, this one's going to do you just fine. And in 40 years from now, if you're 20 years old, you're going to say, there was a radio show on that I once heard that said Philip Morris would be okay. Now, my dad died of cancer, and it was the most horrific thing I've ever seen. A man who was strong and powerful, at one point in time pulling his hair out because of, of chemotherapy, showing me, son, this is the most effed up thing I could possibly imagine. 
He didn't even know how to put it in words. So he just physically showed me how effed up cancer is. And will I invest in cancer sticks? You better believe it. Because I'm an investor. I look for things to invest in. I look for opportunity. I look for clean balance sheets. I look for things to get me to retirement. And hey, I don't smoke. It's people's choice. I can't imagine a person in the world who doesn't understand smoking is bad for you. Yeah, yeah, maybe some people internationally. Now, again, I don't invest in Altria. Altria only sells cigarettes in the United States. Philip Morris International sells them to Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Sells in 160 countries. They've got 15 brands of tobacco. They've got 15% of the international cigarette market outside the United States. They sell Bond Street and Chesterfield and Merritt's and Parliament and Rothman's and Chesterfield's and Marlboro. Marlboro. Still the world's top selling cigarette. That seems like one that should change, right? Seems like at some point in our life, the Marlboro man should be like number three cigarette. But nope, he's still number one. He's number one. So yeah, 5% dividend yield. And, and wait, wait, let's look at the valuation on it. It's trading at a PE of 13 times earnings. Stock market's trading at about a 15 times. So when you compare it to the stock market, it's telling you it's, pri- it's, it's, it's cheap. Now it's not so cheap. Like at some point in time, we know. We just saw, heck, we saw New York raise the taxes on cigarettes another buck. Every country in the world will see cigarettes as evil and heinous and destroying the medical system and that it's easy to tax them. Okay. Well, I'm just throwing it out there. Me still likes Philip Morris International and uh, I got no problem with 14 to 17% growth. My Phil, my friend Phil over in the corner, Phil Morris, he's doing a lot better than a lot of other stocks in our economy. That's for darn sure. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's a cool, crazy, beautiful world. Coming up, I'm going to finally get to the housing market. Who's right? The bulls or the bears? Up or down? I'll give you my take on both and then my opinion. Rob Black and your money, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk coming up. Business of sports. You're listening to Rob Black and your money on 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Am I not totally shocked here? Does this not totally shock you? Cher has extended her Caesars performance. I don't know, for some reason, you would imagine that Cher can't quite draw what Vegas wants. You know what I thought that that Vegas was going to get at some point in time, and it's a shame he's been dead for a year, is Michael Jackson. Wouldn't you and all of your friends aged 25 to 50 go to Vegas to see Jackson? The answer is, hell yeah. He would have been the perfect Vegas act. I went to see Prince a couple years ago because he was now performing no longer at, you know, 18,000 seat arenas. It was a, you know, 800 person club and it was great. You know, I, I hate everything new that he does. I hate it. It's too funky. I like the old 1980s, 1990s. And I spent money. I, so I can't get why Cher is still there. Like I'd go to see Cher if I was high on cocaine and on barbiturates. That's the only way I would possibly be dragged to a share show. And while I'm there, I'd probably be mocking everyone else who was at a share show. Let's go to Patrick and San Carlos. Patrick, how are you? Love your sarcasm. Funny, not somebody more sarcastic than me. You think I'm sarcastic? Uh, <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. Would you pay? Would you pay good money to see Cher, Patrick? See Cher? Cher. I, I take my wife. She'd probably enjoy it. Oof. I wouldn't go on my own. Yeah, I hear you. So you're a good man for thinking about the, the, the lovely other half of you. Got it right. So what can I help you with today? 
Hey, I'm looking at, uh, I got $10,000 I want to move over that just matured on a, on, a, on a bond fund. I was looking at putting in a Van Camp high yield municipal bond fund. What's your take on that or just bond funds in general? You know, I had Heidi ask you a, a further question during the commercial. Are you talking A shares, B shares, C shares? Class A. And so that means you probably have a stockbroker, right? Uh, I, I have a, yeah, a, a fund manager for me. And he, he's telling you what to buy, right? Or he's giving you some well, ideas? He, he's advising me. Yeah, he thought it would be a good buy for me. Okay. What I would personally do if I were you is I would fire him. Okay. I know you're saying, Rob, I called up to ask about Van Camp and municipal bond funds, and you're saying fire my manager. That's not really the question I had. Okay. He's trying well, to put... But that's why I like looking on so I like listen to your show because you're well, honest. He's trying to put you in A shares. And what you should do, Patrick, is say, that's a lovely idea. Why don't we go with a fidelity high yield municipal bond fund? Or why don't we go with individual bonds? Even better. You know, I said earlier in the show that interest rates will probably start creeping up in about twelve to eighteen months. Inflation will come, and when that happens, bond funds are gonna get raped, pillaged, and left for dead. Because you keep telling me not to buy individual bonds, so that uh, that it, it increases my risk. That a, that a fund is better because it spreads out my risk. Spreads out your risk, but you also have the situation where there's hundreds of other investors that could run for the door. Uh, whereas an individual bond, if you're comfortable, for instance, you can get a California Go municipal bond right now for about five and a half percent. The real rate of return is almost seven percent. You good with that? Good what percent seven? Is five and a half percent real rate of return because you're not paying any California taxes would no, be about. Exactly. So if you're good with that, lock that in. And now, hold on. If, if inflation hits 10%, you're screwed. If inflation, if interest rates hit 10%, you, you made the wrong bet. But I think a lot of other people have made the wrong bet. And it would happen slowly and that you would have the opportunity to scale out of it. So to me, bond funds are for amateurs. And well, bond- what are you recommending it? Is, he, is he getting a good return on him for himself? Hell yeah, he is. He's getting a 4.75% sales charge. So you put $100 with him, you're only buying $95.25 of bonds. So he puts you in the A shares, which means they're front load charges. He makes his money. Thank you very much, Patrick. Now, if he puts you in the B shares, it's a little bit more expense ratios each year and every year, but the back end load is 4% and it scales down to nothing because you're paying more in the management fees. Um, now he didn't put you in the B shares cause there's nothing in it for him, Patrick. He puts you in the A shares cause he gets to make $4 and 75 cents. Uh, yeah, $4 and 75 cents on every purchase. Now his, his firm probably gets half of that to be fair, but that puts you at a loss. So Patrick, instead of going out and getting something for a hundred dollars for a hundred dollars, you're saying, man, eh, I'm, I'm a fool. I'll buy something for $95 and 25 cents while Rob will buy it for a hundred dollars on the a hundred or dollar on the dollar versus, you know, 95 cents. So I'm not totally against your 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 guy. I still think municipal bonds are okay. I would prefer a good individual municipal bond. You could do it, Patrick. You can call Fidelity or Vanguard and say, hi, I'm Patrick. Do you have any good California municipal bonds? I'm looking yeah, for the higher... The past. What's that? I've had a lot of them in the past, and they've been very good for me. Yeah, exactly. So in, to me, bond funds just reek of amateur or salesperson. And they're, they're not totally bad, and thanks for the call. Um, you can have no-cost funds. So, for instance, as an institution, I can get you a no-cost bond fund, whereas your guy's trying to get you in the A shares because he's not an institution. He's not buying hundreds of thousands of them. So I think I, hel- I, think I helped you. Uh, we only got a minute. Actually, we got two minutes left in the segment, so I can't do the real estate um, battle royale. But there is something in, in today's San Francisco Examiner, and... 
I don't know if you know it, but the Fisher Collection at the Gap is amazing. Um, the Gap headquarters is a freaking museum because Fisher, who started the Gap, has thrown a lot of his money into great art. Um, you know, Calder to Warhol, introducing the Fisher Collection. It opens today at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. So they're actually moving some of the art from the Fisher Building to the Museum of Modern Art. Um, 161 modern works from the unique 1,100-piece Doris and Donald Fisher Collection. They're giving up 10% of their art the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Now, why would they do that out of curiosity? Because they've been showing it for free at the Gap Building for years. You go into the Gap uh, lobby and you could basically walk around an external museum. It's very, very cool. Why would they give up 10% of their, 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 their collection? Think about it for a second. So they don't have to pay insurance. Art has to have an insurance. You can charge a fee for it, but on top of it, all that art has to be insured. So this, uh, the big cost to them at this point in time of keeping expensive art is the cost of the insurance. So a more dis- complete display of the Fisher Collection will have to wait until 2016 when they're going to triple the museum space. More than $250 million has been raised for the projected $480 million project. This is a situation where people who have have collected art and they're going to leave it behind for you to enjoy. San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. I love, love the museum experience. If you haven't been in a while, do try to get out and see the world and, and try to figure out what a Pollock is all about. When you look at a Pollock and you see that art just all splattered around, it's it's really not just all splattered around. There There is a theme there. There is an idea there. And it's up to you to, to figure it out and to figure out you know what his artwork was. He wasn't crazy. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-345-5639. Who's your favorite artist? Is it Ellsworth Kelly? Is it Roy Lichtenstein? Is it is it Wayne Tebow? You can still collect Tebow's. Tebow's still alive. And uh, he's going to be dead soon. And when he's dead, that artwork's going to go up crazy in value. There's an asset class idea for you, Wayne Tebow. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's Rob Black and your money, 9, 10 a.m. Finally coming up next, I promise I'm going to get into the debate on real estate. Are you ready to rumble? Which way will it go? This is Rob Black and your money on 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. And now, Rob Black. impression for you let's see if anyone can get this right call in 800-345-5639 okay wait, here's the impression call in if anyone could get that you had to be listening to commercial breaks in the last three minutes to figure out who that is call in 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there i know it's not delivering to expectations but it's still damn funny so let's talk about housing Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's the winner? Who's the loser? Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Okay, so we got two sides here. We got people who think real estate's going to go up and people who think real estate's going to go down. And when I moved to California nine years ago, I had to deal with a lot of you freaks out there. Oh, California real estate always goes up because it's California. That's not true. Good God, you could just even look in the last 20 years and you could see California real estate doesn't always go up. Back in 1989, a day before the big earthquake, if you had bought a house, it took you seven years to get back to break even. Now, we kind of had an earthquake here in 2002, 3, 4, 5. We had people buying homes that shouldn't be buying homes. We got people buying $600,000 homes that had a $100,000 salary. That's not enough. That's not enough. If you make 100000 which is still a pretty good salary in the Bay Area, you can really only afford about a $250,000 home. 
about two and a half times your income. So the U.S. real estate market, it threatens to undercut Obama's administration's stimulus-driven economic recovery as home sales resume their record slide following the end of the federal home buyer tax credit. Now, in one corner, we got Dean Mackey. His name's Dean. He's not a Dean, but his name's Dean. He's a U.S. economist at Barclays. I love Barclays. Their research is the best in the business. They say the worst of the ho- is over for the housing sector. Now, Dean Baker in the other corner, he's co-director for the Center of Economics and Policy Research. He expects another painful decline. This reflects a split amongst forecasters. I'm, and I just looked at 120 economists, of which it's about a 50-50 split. So which side is going to be right? Which side is going to be wrong? Housing is going to play a crucial direction in the nation's economy and the global financial markets. Just as it triggered a two-year recession that erased more than 8 million U.S. jobs and $37 trillion from world stock markets, there's real destruction when housing demand declines to most American families and their home is their most important asset, a very significant part of their wealth and retirement savings. Joseph Stiglitz says when they feel insecure, homeowners feel insecure about the value there, obviously it's a very big impact on the quality of their life and they don't go out and spend. Now, I own a home, but I've never, ever spent for my home. I've used improvements or movements up in the home price to move up, no doubt about it. So now new home sales fell 33% in the recent recent release. And that's a case for the bears. The May home sales declines lend a temporary credence. A bear is someone who thinks it's going to be negative. Ultimately, that housing is problematic. There's an author, a guy named Baker. He's the, the guy that I talked about that says... He's the Center of Economic Research, Policy Research. Um, He says another painful decline, and he says he expects home prices to fall 12% this year. Now, they've already bounced up 9.1% in the last three months, but that's kind of a bogus number because the sales are coming with a lot of foreclosure and a lot of short sales. Now, Meredith Whitney, who I kind of like, I kind of dig her as a financial woman. If you know what I mean, I'd like to to sit there and, and chew the fat and talk investments with her. Meredith Whitney, she's founder of Meredith Whitney Advisor Group. She said this week, housing recession is likely. Another housing recession is likely. She's not stupid. Her quote was, we think the consumer is going to have a tough time in the second half of the year. We think the second quarter is going to be very tough for other players in the capital markets, and we remain cautious on the banks at large. If housing fails, our economy fails. Now, again, I'm not talking about housing failing to the tune of we're going to live in, in you know, stick huts. I wouldn't mind living in a stick hut with my sugar booger and selling bananas and apples on the beach. But... I think most of us wouldn't like to live in a stick hut. So, because Big Bad Wolf can come by and huff and puff and blow your stick hut hut down. So, she thinks the second quarter is going to be tough. And again, as the stock market goes, no, 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 no. As the housing market goes, so goes the consumer. Now, Joseph Shapiro, he's in the bearish camp, i.e. he thinks things are negative. He's the chief economist for MFR. He's calling for a 10% decline in prices. Narimian Brezhmavash, chief economist at IHS Global Insight, he expects another 7% down in real estate prices. Now, Mackey's considered the most accurate forecaster of GDP. He sees a, a two-tenths of 1% increase in home values this, in, this, this quarter, this year. So there's some people out there, guy at Deutsche Bank, Joseph Lavorgna, he sees a 2.5% increase. Now, this is important because everyone listening to this show, you either rent or you own. And about 70% of Americans at the height owned a home. That's a lot. What is full home ownership? That's a good question. What is full? I think somewhere in the 60s is about as much as our country can hold. We need people to rent. 
we need both renters and homeowners. So uh, I like the number right around 66, 65% home ownership. I think once you start getting above that, who are you going to sell your house to? I already got mine. Go look at Nancy down the road. Maybe she doesn't have a house yet. So you got to have people who are potential buyers. You got to have people who are potential step up buyers. So we can't all be living in million dollar homes. So, because you don't step up from million to two million. Well, you sometimes do if like you're a lawyer or a doctor. So, but you have to be a high earner to afford that kind of mortgage. To some extent, economists are engaging in crystal ball gazing right now. So keep in mind all these estimates that I'm telling you that we could go up two and a half percent, we could go down 12% in home prices. It's a lot of crystal ball action. So the median price in the United States for a home. Here's a great question. What do you think it is? Median price of a home in the United States. Let's ask Heidi. Let's put the voice of the average person on the air. Um, the median price of a home in 2009. Including the entire United States? For No, I'm sorry. As far as February goes, including the whole entire state, United States. Okay. I'm going to say 205. 205. Not a bad guess. Not a bad guess. So back in July 2006, the average median, the median home price in the United States was 230000 As of February this year, it was 164000 That's a lot of damage. Keep in mind, real estate prices, and I'm teaching you a lot in this segment, people, can rise 3 to 5% on average in good times. If wages go up 3 to 5%, people can afford you know, more home. That's the basic idea of it. And more than a fifth of U.S. mortgage holders owned more than their homes are worth. I'm sorry, more than... Three-fifths, more than a fifth, more than a fifth of U.S. home mortgage holders owe more than their home's worth. So 20% of people, their home is upside down. For instance, um, I do a lot of work with Bay Area Loan Source on mortgages. You can go to BayAreaLoanSource.com. And there was one guy who put in an application about a year ago. And he wants the, the house appraisal the same this year because rates have dropped that much. And he found out in one year his appraisal put him upside down. In one year, he lost more. than he, he can't qualify for a new loan now because his home has dropped that much in value. He wants the lower rates, but he can't get them. A lot of people don't realize that oof, it's not as easy as it used to be. So lower real estate prices, you know, you, you're seeing more increased foreclosures. You see the deflating the bank profits. Household spending is increasing but remains constrained by high unemployment, modest income growth, Lower housing wealth and tight credit. So the, the consumer, you and me, the person who drives our economy, we're getting hit on a couple levels. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people are finding like, well, you know, I can't really ask for a, a raise because they just fired the guy next to me. So people are being constrained by that. People are being constrained by they used to be able to run $70,000 in credit. One of my small businesses used to be able to run $70,000 a month in credit. Now it's been limited to about 17 to 20. And I used to sometimes max out that 70. I always paid it back. But you get the idea is that I was a consumer. I was a business consumer. That drives the economy. So when credit gets cut back, I can't do as much. I, I still do my, my, my best. So mortgage defaults are going to push prices lower, in my opinion, in housing. I think until jobs get under 8%, I still think the wages are... Uh, there won't be wage inflation. There won't be employment growth. So I don't see any reason for housing to go up. Now, there's some markets that are incredible, like the peninsula in, in, in the Bay Area. And just look a couple districts over. You know, 
parts of Oakland are miserable and they're getting worse. So how can the finance, how can the, the success of the peninsula, you know, hurt the Oakland area? So, I mean, how can they be so, you know, on opposite ends? It's jobs. Like I, Elaine McKay, she's the traffic queen over at Cron. She's fantastic. She's one of those, those girls that you just want to know because she does it all. Like she goes out and drinks champagne. She has a great husband who's director of Sony video game experiences or something like that. He gives out the three stars at the Sharks. She's just a good person. And she's looking for a home and she's not quite finding the right one. Not quite finding the right one. And I was like, why don't you look over in, you know, Orinda? I love Orinda. Love Orinda. And she goes, there is no chance on the planet I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the Bay Bridge commute. No chance. Like, that's why housing prices suck over there. People know that the Bay Bridge is that much of a, a difficult. She knows there's only one TV station she can get a job at over there. And she doesn't want to do the Bay Bridge. And that tale of two markets. Just like that. Ten miles difference. And you see a market that's wildly healthy on the peninsula. You see a market that's dysfunctional in the East Bay. Tax credit helped a lot of people. That's gone away. So I can't really make a positive case for housing. I'm not sure if you can. I'm still thinking 2012 at the earliest, 2015 at the latest before housing stabilizes. I don't see any stabilization before them because, again, I don't see the jobs. So this is rough out there. It's the jobs. It's the, the you know, the recovery of jobs. It's the jobless recovery. You know, I, and today I saw the Congress basically say that they can't extend unextended unemployment. So people are falling off the ranks, and I think they get hurt even more. So I think home builders uh, aren't realistic about uh, prices and uh, they, they tend to overbuild when times are good and they tend to underbuild when times are bad. So we need a couple of years to get rid of the inventory. There's too much freaking inventory out there. Plus, there's too many people in California that just I'm going to go be in real estate. We need to weed some more people out of the real estate market, some people who just aren't that good of agents. What you're probably seeing right now is a lot of agents now are on a team. So, and why are they on a team? Because they can no longer hack it on their own. So they're trying to pull all the sales together under one umbrella so they can split the wealth versus hit the home run themselves. Yep. Housing's still very problematic. Housing's still very much so hurt. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money. You can contact me in a numerous set of ways. For instance, Rob at RobBlack.com. Rob at RobBlack.com. You can catch me on Facebook. Catch me on Facebook. Facebook uh, group page, I Hate Rob Black. Facebook group page. I hate Rob Black. Uh, Bob just sent me an email and he says, somehow I fail to see housing prices moving upward, especially in places like the Bay Area, simply because prices are still at levels that, you know, don't come close to matching even upper level incomes. My wife and I make close to $200,000, which for the record is a lot of money. And when I look at the realistic cost of a halfway decent home in the Bay Area, which is around 500000 the cost is still at levels that are too high for what we make. If we can't afford then, most others can't afford because they're not making 200 Now, the housing market's been sitting on three wobbly legs the last couple of years, and the only thing holding it up has been government incentives. The piper is yet to be paid. I suspect the Bay Area and other high-cost home markets will be in doldrums for years to come. Bob's not smoking crack. This is a well-written email. He may be right. He may be wrong. On the other hand, a lot of other up-and-coming metros are drawing newcomers, and we'll probably have more robust housing markets. I've mentioned this a few times in the past. The Bay Area will ultimately lose an entire generation of young professional workers. I love Raleigh, North Carolina, Durham. You got the research triangle there. When I'm all said and done, I could see myself there living in Carolina where people still smoke in restaurants, which is just weird. I don't know what else to say about this. Average home in America. I want to get back to that real quick. 
average home in America, about 164000 It's a lot cheaper. And for a lot of people, that's the retirement plan is leave California. It's Rob Black and your money, 910 AM. What's your thoughts? 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Coming up right around the corner, headline news. But here's a guy who, who, who he's $200,000 income between him and his wife. And he's like, I can't afford what I want in the Bay Area. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.